0: Good to see everybody this morning. Uh, Before we get going on the message here, um, the pastoral staff wants to take a moment to look back on last Sunday. Uh, The day was simply amazing for all of us. It was, uh, and we know it was amazing for Tim and Karen too. We're so proud to be a part of a church that would take the time to say thank you in such a big way and to bless and encourage our leader of 22 years. Um, Churches don't always get to celebrate leadership transition with so much joy and sweetness. So truly, um, we're we're thankful that that all of you helped to celebrate him. God has blessed us with Tim and Karen, and God continues to bless us. We also wanted to look ahead and to let you know a few of our thoughts. We're looking at the next several months with a combination of anxiety, but also excitement. Um, Over the last several years, we see that God has been preparing us from this season. We've got a governing board who have become just our, our top cheerleaders and have uh, really encouraged us and are going to help us navigate the decisions that we have ahead of us. Um, we have a chance to hear regularly from an expert in strengths and team dynamics, who's helping us figure out how to rely on each other and, uh, and turn to one another um, in our in our strengths. And we've had a few seasons where Tim has either been able to step away for a couple weeks or even a couple of months for a sabbatical, so we've had a chance to figure out kind of how to move forward uh, without his leadership in the mix. All that to say, God knew this was coming, and he's been preparing us for it. And we're excited to be your pastors. We're excited to lead. Um, really quickly, we want to share with you a couple of things that each of us are passionate about in this season. And if you're new to New Cove, uh, we, will, we thought we would introduce ourselves, because we don't always get up here and get to uh, just introduce ourselves. So... I'm Brett Wellstead. I'm the pastor of Worship and Creative Arts. I've been in full-time ministry for 18 years, and I've been connected with New Cove since 2000. I feel strongly that uh, we are formed into Christ-likeness on Sunday mornings when we gather, when we sing, when we worship together. And one thing that I'm really excited about right now is continuing to build our online presence Um, At our last Discover New Cove class, we had about half of the people that attended said they first started attending online, and then they came here on a Sunday morning. I really think it's a great front door for New Cove, and so I'm excited about that. Troy? I'm Troy... Nope. There you go.
1: I'm Troy Heller, uh, pastor of Family Ministries and uh, building superintendent, and... uh, (laughs) We don't have to laugh at everything, <laughs> Uh I absolutely love New Cove, and, and I think you know that. And, and I desire to be able to know a little bit about everybody's story because I love helping us to, uh, to figure out where we're gifted and, and how God can use us. Uh, I really love coming alongside of, of children and students in their journey uh, toward Christ. And, and parents, I love to help set you up to be able to be confident and intentional uh, in your parenting and uh, I've been blessed to also be here at Nuka for a long time, uh, like many of us. Uh, in 2003, uh, I got started here, and, uh, and here we go. And, and right now, it, just, it feels like we're, just, we're taking the next step forward. And like Brett and the rest of our, our staff here, uh, just feeling confident that together uh, we'll be able to continue to move forward. So thankful for you.
0: So I'm Brent Watson. Uh, I serve as pastor of adult discipleship. And when Brett wrote his down and let me see it, I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to say this. So I've been in ministry for 31 years. Um, been here at New Cove since 2010. Okay. Uh, and I think helping people come to know Jesus and learn how to follow him in their daily lives is really kind of what motivates me uh, in ministry. It's what I've been about when I was doing college ministry. It's what I love about being here. Um, I think some of my gifts have to do with uh, helping us think forward in, in long term, but also uh, helping people engage with their stories and think deeply about God and their relationships with others. And so uh, I'm really looking forward to using those gifts in the season to come, and I'm just excited about what's coming for New Cove.
2: Uh, my name is Suze Heller, married to Troy, um, and I've been coming to New Cove actually since 1998 when I was in college. Um, and then when Troy came on staff, I kind of unofficially came on staff. I know <laughs> Andrew understands that. Uh, that's how that goes. <laughs> so I've been working with the youth ministry, had been working with the youth ministry since then. Um, I officially went on staff, I'm not even sure, 10 years ago maybe, and then just in the last year um, have started with children's ministry. So that's been super fun. Uh, something I'm passionate about is just creating a fun and warm environment for people to learn about Jesus. Okay. Hi, guys. My name is Katie, and I am the student ministry director here. Um, so I just have my year anniversary, which is exciting. Woo-hoo. <laughs> 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 but before that, I've, I've been, like, I've grown up in New Cub, and so I actually got to have Suze and Troy as my flip side leaders. Uh, so I like to carry on the traditions, all that jazz. But, yeah, I just I love the middle and high school students that I get to work with. One of my favorite things is just trying to help them, like, think about what does it look like to trust Jesus in this moment right now um, something I'm really excited about on Wednesday nights we started this uh, it's called echo the story and it's about just like the story-based curriculum of the Bible and helping kids kind of grasp the Bible as not just this intimidating big book but as a story that shows like the overarching love of God mm. so I'm really excited about that uh, and I just love hanging out with them they're just the greatest <laughs> So that's me Hi, I'm Beth Hawes. Hi online too. We're glad to have you. Um, I have been at NUCA for 23 years on staff and have been a member before that. So I've been around here a while and have loved it and feel blessed to be part of it. Uh, right now I am the leader of um, care and engagement and women's ministry. And in both of those areas, uh, like all of us, we just want to help people um, Connect where they are. Jesus is going to be wherever you are. He will be there with you. And I just feel like, you know, he doesn't want to just um, make things right. He wants to connect with you and love you and make you his own and it's the love that we long for is in Jesus, so we want to help you with the next steps of your faith, and we're always growing. doesn't matter how long we've been a Christian, uh, we can grow in our faith and in sharing our faith, and that's what we want to see happen, so um, a lot of my job right now is trying to connect people and get them to that next step, which is um, just part of what our church is built on, is growing in Jesus together and I just want to say, um, Jesus, I really feel like is calling New Cove uh, to come together and take the next steps, and I just want us to say, here I am, Lord. Mm.
0: Thanks, Beth. So, if there's anything uh, that we can do for you in this season, please talk to us, let us know. Um, as we look for our next pastor, we, we really want to encourage all of you to, to lean in. Uh, we want to build community together. We want to serve one another because Jesus first served us. We need you. We love you. And we believe that the best is yet to come. Though we're going to miss Tim's leadership, uh, God continues to lead us, and we're excited to follow him. So we want to lock arms with you as we seek God's will for New Cove. And uh, if you need anything, this is our team, and, and we're here for you. Yeah. God, thank you for uh, calling us to this moment. Thank you for your word. I pray that you, uh, that you would speak to us as we open your word, as we uh, read from Paul, as we uh, talk about your story, um, that we would see how much you love us and that we would rejoice in that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So, I want to start this morning with some questions for all of us to consider, just big general questions. We're starting a new message series here, and uh, so uh, these are the questions. They're, they're pretty easy. What, what brings you joy? What brings you happiness? Uh, in what things or ideas or relationships do you find enjoyment? Why do you, things that maybe bring me joy and not bring other people joy? Uh, where do you find joy and how do you look for it? When it comes down to it, I think we're looking for joy most of our waking moments. Um, a few uh, places where we can find joy... Uh, Franklin Roosevelt said, "Happiness lies in the joy of achievement and the thrill of creative effort." So we can find happiness and joy in in our work. Um, We can find joy and share that joy in relationships. The poet Lord Byron wrote, "All who would win, I'm sorry, all joy would, all who joy would win must share it." Happiness was born a twin. I kind of like that picture. Uh, Mark Twain wrote something similar: "To get the full value of a joy, you must have somebody to divide it with." which is another great uh, little piece of poetry from Mark Twain. We can find joy in experiences. Uh, If you're familiar with Chris McCandless, the subject of the book Into the Wild, he, he once wrote, The joy of life comes from our encounters with new experiences. And hence, there's no greater joy than to have an endlessly changing horizon for each day to have a new and different sun. I decided as I was going through this week that maybe I would take note of where I find joy in the week. So I took some pictures, and I'm going to show you a few of them. So first one, there, I found it. It was (laughs) on a wall. There's joy. Uh, The second one, very similar. We can find joy in ordinary places, and that's an ice cream cone wrapper. So that was a good one. Um, What else? Uh... Yeah, see, so you find joy in the ordinary. I found... Oh, I got another one. I, uh, I found joy at uh, Tim and Karen's house. I just, I just grabbed this. Here. I guess I stole his joy a little bit. Um, what else? Uh, oh. I forgot that one got in there. Yeah, there was leftover cake, and uh, I found some joy in that. Um... I found joy in uh, this group. We, uh, we took a picture on Wednesday, and uh, I find joy working with them. Um, I find joy in, uh, in music. Uh, my friend James and I went and saw uh, Drew Holcomb and the Neighbors in Omaha on Thursday night, and the, the room was just filled with just this, this joy, lots of smiles, lots of great music. We find joy all over the place. I find I find joy here in the worship auditorium. There's joy. Everybody say hi, joy. <laughs> there's joy in the house of the Lord. <laughs> Every time you sing that, we sing that song now. You'll be like, hey, there's, there's joy. <laughs> What's interesting to me is that we where is where we look for joy and happiness, and what the result is. There's a difference, for example, between the joy I feel at the end of a run. And the joy I felt celebrating Tim and Karen last Sunday. I mean, at the end of the run, it's just like, oh my gosh, I'm glad that's over. That's a joy, but also uh, just celebrating Tim and Karen and, and who they are and, uh, and what they mean to us. Um, some joy is momentary. That's not a bad thing, necessarily. It's just temporary. It wasn't meant to fulfill us. You know, I feel joy in a board game with my family. But that's not a permanent feeling. It's, it's not like the joy I feel uh, in the moments that I try to take in at the end of Christmas Eve. When everybody is left here, um, I usually just take a few moments just to be in the quiet and in the stillness and to remember the gift that we're celebrating on Christmas. And that fills me with a, a very different sense of joy. And then sometimes we can find joy in the wrong places or in the wrong ways. I mentioned Chris McCandless a few minutes ago who found joy in new experiences and new places. But if you know his story, you know that that led him into the Alaskan wilderness. McCandless had left strained relationships with his parents and his sister, and he died alone of starvation after ingesting some toxins, probably a mold or a poisonous plant. So he sought joy, but it was in the wrong places, and it was in the wrong way. But some joy is deeper. It's more sustained and steady and constant. The Jesuit priest Pierre Delhard de Chardin, and I'm sure I murdered that name, sorry, he wrote, joy is the infallible sign of the presence of God. And that's interesting to me. That's a different kind of joy, in my opinion. That's the joy that we want to pursue. When we're talking about that kind of joy, we're talking about something that endures, It's not based on what happened today or what we're looking forward to tomorrow necessarily. It's not affected by bumper-to-bumper traffic or even a death in the family or just uncertainty. It's based on the saving actions of the creator of everything who we know as Jesus. Our God is a God of joy who invites us to share in his joy. C.S. Lewis wrote, joy is the serious business of heaven." And while it doesn't mean that grief or hardship won't come our way, when we choose joy, we choose to let the serious business of heaven grow in our souls and plant seeds in those around us. So over the next several weeks, we want to explore where we find happiness, how we can choose to rejoice in all circumstances. A few weeks ago, the teaching team, so that's Pastor Troy, Pastor Brent, Stephen Gracia, founding Pastor Brett Yon, and... We're going to call him Pastor Emeritus for now, Tim Johnson, uh, decided that uh, this, this moment might be perfect for us to teach through Paul's letters to the Philippians, where we find Paul writing, for example, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Each week, we're going to look at where God calls us to find joy, and we'll talk about some of the practices that we can put in place to help us choose joy. This morning, though, I want to give some background on the book of Philippians, that's where we're going to be. Um, Even when we look at how the church at Philippi was started, we can see a theme of joy. So, first of all, let's look at Philippians in the context of the Bible. As Christians, we believe that this book, the Bible, is the inspired Word of God. It's the supreme source of truth for what we believe and how we live. It has two major parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And there are a total of 66 books that make up the Bible, written across hundreds of years by a variety of authors, all under the supernatural guidance of the Holy Spirit. Philippians is found in the New Testament, the second half of the Bible, really the second, like, third of the Bible. Um, The New Testament is named such because it marks when Jesus was born and lived and taught his disciples and was crucified and rose again from the grave and when the church begins. The New Testament has five historical accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which cover the life of Jesus, and then Acts covers the history of the church, so how the church got started. Um, Acts also introduces us to Paul, who is the author of much of the rest of the New Testament. Besides the five historical accounts, the New Testament contains one apocalyptic writing called Revelation, it's very bottom right corner there. And then a lot of letters that were sent. And about half of these are written by Paul. Um, Paul, uh, he, he wrote Philippians in about AD 61. At that time, we know from the book of Acts that Paul was imprisoned in Rome. Now, as a Roman citizen, Paul's imprisonment doesn't sound too bad. Uh, he had a house where he was confined. He could receive guests. He could write letters to stay in contact with the churches he helped start on his missionary travels. Speaking of missionary travels, he made three missionary journeys into the Roman Empire. You can read about all of them in Acts. And we're going to look at Acts 16 today, which tells part of his second missionary journey, which is when he first traveled to Philippi and planted the church there. So let's look briefly at Philippi in context of history. Um, This is probably hard to read from your seats, but I'll tell you that about the, the furthest little red dot... To the top of the map there, that's Philippi. It's in the territory of Macedonia. It was named for uh, Philip II, whose son was Alexander the Great. So this is the Hellenistic period. Um, It was located in Macedonia, which is modern-day Greece. It had mountain ranges to the north and to the east and the west, and it was not far inland from the Aegean Sea. This made it an important city for the Greek Empire. It was a military stronghold, a place of trade and commerce you can still see the ruins of Philippi today. Um, do you have a picture? Yeah, there we go. Uh, you, can, you can visit these about 150 years before Jesus was born, or around 200 years before Paul wrote his letter and Paul traveled there. Uh, Macedonia was conquered by Rome. It eventually became a Roman colony, so residents of Philippi enjoyed the benefits of Roman citizenship, the ability to travel anywhere in the Roman Empire, um, the right to a fair trial, and exemption from the heavy taxes of Rome. Philippians were proud of their Roman heritage and of their city. Around AD 51, Paul was traveling with Silas, Timothy, and Luke, who wrote Acts, through parts of the province of Asia. They planned to go north to the province of Bithynia, but they were told... But we're told that God prevented them from going there. So they went to Troas, which is right on the, the uh, shore of the Aegean Sea. And there, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia begging him to come over to Macedonia and help us. So Paul and his traveling companions sailed a short distance across the Aegean Sea, and they made their way to Philippi. And what happens there in, is what we find in Acts 16. I wish we had time to go through the whole chapter, Uh, I wish we could talk about how the first person in Philippi who believes and is baptized in Jesus is Lydia, a wealthy businesswoman who made purple fabric for nobility and royalty. How she believed Paul's message, um, when she believed Paul's message, her response was to invite their group to stay and to continue to share the gospel in a town that on its entry gates, had a prohibition for unrecognized religions. So this was a risky move for Lydia, who stood to lose business, influence, and status. I wish we could spend some time talking about how Paul exercised a demon from a slave girl whose affliction was being used to make money. How her owners were more angry at their loss of income than they were happy about the well-being of their slave. How they were so angry, in fact, that they dragged Paul and Silas in front of the local magistrates and fired up the crowd to attack and beat these two Jews. How the magistrates completely missed the fact that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens and therefore should never have been treated like that without a trial. But what I really want to talk about is what happens next. Paul and Silas are thrown in prison, which seems like a natural place to go when we want to talk about joy, right? <laughs> we're going to pick up the account in uh, Acts 16, verse 23. And uh, we're going we're gonna to see what we learn about joy there. Uh, I'm reading from the NIV this morning, and uh, I don't have the page number for the seatback Bibles, but uh, you can follow along there if you want or on the screen. So, Acts 16, 23, and 24. The, ooh, after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Two things to note real quick. First, it's interesting that the command was given to guard the two men carefully. You have to ask, why? Well, earlier in Acts chapter 12, Peter miraculously escaped from Herod's prison in Antioch. Maybe it's possible that this story of a Christian escaping from jail could have made it to Philippi. Uh, Second, the jailer took the command very seriously because maybe he had heard that the guards in charge of Peter when Peter escaped were executed. Or maybe the jailer just knew that there were real consequences and he didn't want to take any chances. Whatever the case, the jailer put them in the inner cell, which is the heart of the prison, no windows, and he binds them in stocks, which are boards fastened together with iron hinges and locks. Um, It prevented them from moving. So They've been treated terribly, accused of trumped-up charges, and now they're bound in a prison cell. Reading on, uh, verses 25 to 34. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. We're going to come back to that. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house, set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. So Paul and Silas had been dragged into the city, into the marketplace, attacked by a mob beaten by the local law enforcement on false accusations, put into a room with no windows, put in stocks. I mean, I think at this point I would just curl up into a ball and go to sleep. I, you know, I I got a cut on my ear the other day, and it ruined my morning. (laughs) But Paul and Silas, at midnight after all of this, are praying and singing. I mean, who does that? (laughs) This doesn't sound like a moment to be joyful, but their actions seem to be much more in line with joy than are with anger or frustration. So the first thing I want us to notice about joy this morning is that joy endures the most difficult circumstances. Paul and Silas knew that four walls and darkness were nothing compared with knowing and sharing Jesus. Hebrews 12 reminds us that for the joy set before Jesus... He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. See, Jesus knew the big picture. He endured the cross to get to the joy set before him. He knew that the pain and the suffering of the cross was a path to redeeming all of creation, of making everything sad come untrue. I think we all know in a small sense what that looks like, don't we? Couple of examples. Uh, first, a of, of couple of examples of kind of getting through something that's frustrating or hard in order to get to the good stuff. Um, first of all, a really small thing of me that is true. I always finish the vegetables on my plate before anything else. I'm not a fan of most vegetables. When we have goulash, I'll actually pick out the red peppers and the squash and eat them first, (laughs) so that I can just enjoy the rest without any vegetables. (laughs) So I endure vegetables for the joy of, well, not vegetables. Um, Or maybe a better example. Yesterday, I spent most of the day working in my bathroom. We've been remodeling it, and I have to do it in my spare time, so it's been going really slow, Um, and it's, it's... It's really a pain, but in the not-too-distant future, my three kids will no longer have to come through our bedroom to use the only shower that's left in the house. Um, That's a small joy set before me, and it's the reason I endure vinyl flooring, plumbing, painting, countertops, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, along more important lines, there's a reason that we gather and we sing. Hebrews 12.3 says, Consider him who endured. When we gather to worship, we're putting the joy of knowing Christ before ourselves. I mean, think about the song that we just sang a few minutes ago. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light. That comes from John 1, 5. He is my strength and my song. That comes from Psalm 28. He's the cornerstone of our faith. That comes from 1 Peter 2 and and other places. He is our solid ground where we stand. You can find that in Psalm 40. What heights of love we know in Jesus. You can find that in Ephesians 3. What depths of peace we have in him. You can find that in John 16. When we worship, we remember God's promises and his faithfulness. That's the joy set before us. In light of God's word, in light of who Jesus is and all he has done, in light of the spirit working within us, in light of the hope of heaven, what are stocks and prison cells? What is suffering? What is death? I think Paul and Silas sang and prayed to remember and proclaim the joy of knowing Jesus. Tertullian wrote in the second century of this moment, the legs feel nothing in the stocks when the heart is in heaven. And the cool thing here is that the prisoners were listening to them. That word listening is something that I won't be able to pronounce in this moment, which means listening intently. The Greek is listening intently. Whatever Paul and Silas were singing, it had the same magnetic quality on the prisoners that it had on Lydia earlier when she heard the gospel. They wanted to hear more. So much so that when the chains fell off of all the prisoners, did you catch that? Not just Paul and Silas. When all of the prison doors flew open, not just Paul and Silas's, the prisoners stayed there. That's the second thing I notice about joy in this passage, is that joy is compelling One of my favorite movies, and a movie that we watch every year, but not until after Thanksgiving, (laughs) is Elf with Will Ferrell. Uh, uh, It's Will Ferrell, the late James Caan, Zoe Deschanel, and um, has anyone seen that? Everybody? Okay, good. Um, The reason that I love this movie is because Will Ferrell's character, uh, his name is Buddy, and he's unwaveringly, almost annoyingly, joyful throughout the entire movie. Um, His excitement is Christmas, um, but the other characters find him annoying at first, but he wins them over by the end of the movie, and they start to find this joy and and act according to it. When we allow what Jesus has done to inform us with what we do each day, at work, in our relationships, and what we say, and what we post... They, the joy that we express will compel others. Friends will want to be around us more. They'll ask questions. I guarantee it. They'll be inspired by what they see, and they'll want to know more. In another letter uh, that Paul wrote, 2 Corinthians, Paul actually uses the joyful giving of the Philippians to inspire the believers in Corinth. Um, he wrote, uh, Now, brothers and sisters, We want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches, that includes Philippi. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people." Since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. So, Paul used the churches of Philippi, even though they were poor, their joy of the gospel welled up into generosity, and that was inspiring, that was compelling. Joy moves us towards these things, generosity, hospitality, it's it's kind of paying it forward, I like to think that the prisoners listening to Paul and Silas for just a short time already compelled, felt compelled more to hear from them, and they felt convinced to stay put rather than to escape into the night, maybe for the sake of the jailer, because escape from, from the jail would have meant that the jailer would be executed. When he saw that the prison doors were open, he must have believed his life was over. He couldn't have been further from the truth he fell at the feet of Paul and Silas and asked the best, most direct question in Scripture, what must I do to be saved? And the answer was equally direct. Paul and Silas said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Paul and Silas shared the good news with him and his household. And in the middle of the night, this is well after midnight at this point, the jailer and his family believed and were baptized. The jailer washed his wound, their wounds, set a table for them, and fed them. He was filled with joy, it says, because he didn't lose his job. No, that's not what it says. He was filled with joy because the prisoners stayed? No, he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. That's the third thing that I note about this joy that is enduring, is that joy comes from believing in God. That's the joy that we want to talk about as we go through Philippians over the next several weeks. We'll see that it can be found in many places, in many ways, but at the root of all of it is that God is our joy. When we put our trust in him, when we follow him, we can joyfully endure. We can compel others in how we treat them and how we face hardship. We can point them to Jesus. Over and over in scripture, joy follows belief in Jesus. A few examples here in Matthew Um, Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven. He says, It's like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy, he went and sold all that he had and bought that field. In Luke, the disciples, after Jesus' resurrection, they worship him and return to Jerusalem with great joy. When Philip brought the good news to a city in Samaria, there was great joy in the entire city in Acts 8. And later in Acts 8, when Philip baptized the Ethiopian eunuch, the man went on his way rejoicing, not even noticing that Philip was taken away from that place by God. So, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again: rejoice. If you believe in Jesus, you have reason to rejoice in all seasons, in all circumstances. Rejoice. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. Joy or happiness is not a litmus test for faith. There are times when we are to mourn. There are reasons to lament, to cry out to God. There are times and seasons when we might need help to find joy. If you're not acting like Buddy the Elf every day, it doesn't mean that you're not really a Christian. I'm, just, I'm not trying to say, just be happier, you know. I am saying, turn to the source of our joy. Turn to Jesus Turn to the Holy Spirit who transforms us from the inside out. The more we look to Jesus, the more these things just happen. These qualities just became become part of who we are. So I want to wrap up here so the worship team can come on up. And uh, No, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's right. Sorry. Sometimes I forget the service order of the service that I'm leading. Sorry. Uh, the worship team can come on up. Uh, I've got a couple of challenges for you. Um, new cub to put into practice this week first of all a simple practice i want you to be mindful of joy as you go through this week take notice of what brings you joy where you find it and when you feel joy take a moment to turn that into gratitude just a real quick thanks god for the happiness that you feel The second thing I want to encourage you to do is to read through Philippians at least one time this week. It's only four chapters. It's 104 verses. Interesting uh, note, you'll find Jesus or the Lord Jesus or the name of Jesus 51 times in 104 verses. So about half of the verses contain Jesus. Um, So pay attention to that and pay attention to the theme of joy throughout the book. I think you'll see it uh, several times. You could get through this book every day if you wanted to. Um, but I want to encourage you to read that, and as we go through the next several weeks, we're going to talk about some of the themes of joy and where we find it in Philippians. So let me pray. God, thank you. Uh, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, uh, scorning in its shame. Thank you that we can look to Jesus and see what it means to, to rejoice in all things, in all circumstances. Thank you for the gift of your word. I pray that uh, when we see it, when we read it, when we hear it, that we would see that how it points to you. And that we would go to that source. Thank you that um, in all circumstances we can turn to the source of joy in all moments. I pray that as we do that, God, that you would help us to to grow, to be more like Jesus. I pray that you would do a work in us, that this wouldn't be anything that we try to accomplish on our own, but that we would trust in your spirit, that we would trust in how you're moving, and that you would do a work in us. God, help us to be inspired by joy, compelled by joy. Help us to share joy with those around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give our offerings at this time, and uh, let's reflect on what we've heard uh, with this song.